fascinated with the unknown and the disturbing. Casey just had to know. Could the stories possibly be real? Even though the websites claimed that the living pit made of flesh was complete fiction, she headed to Odessa, Texas with two friends to find out for sure. It was summer break, and worst case scenario, she would be exploring in a place she had never been before, while making memories during her one last summer before facing adulthood. She had nothing to lose, except her life. Welcome to Freaky Folklore, the podcast where we discover the horrifying legends across the world and tell terrifying tales of monsters both ancient and modern. Today we are discussing the Mystery Flesh Pit National Park. This show is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network. Find more terrifying tales at EerieCast.com and be sure to follow us on Spotify or your favorite podcasting service. You can leave an honest review on iTunes, too. The more we get, the more we grow, and hopefully the more monsters we can explore. If you'd like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram for information on future episodes. Casey had looked over the maps at least a dozen times. She was sure that she had the entire park memorized at this point. She was so excited to start this adventure that it had been all she could think about for the last several months. When she had originally found the stories online, She was as fascinated as everyone else by the realistic creation of this fake park. But the more she read, the more it seemed to have a ring of truth to it. Before she knew it, she was obsessing over the details. She was a senior at Texas State University in Austin and was on the verge of getting her bachelor's degree in science. She was also a lover of science fiction. Casey also loved the outdoors spending her free time when she wasn't studying, hiking, kayaking, and rock climbing. She was a mix of science geek and athletic explorer, all wrapped up in a 5-foot-1 and 122-pound package with short blonde hair. She became equally intrigued, except she didn't find it believable at all. She thought that the stories were just that, made up for online entertainment. That didn't keep Kim from getting on board with Casey's plan. She wanted to spend the summer after their senior year camping and exploring around Odessa, Texas. The idea was to see if there was any truth to the mystery. Even if they never found anything, it would be a grand adventure. Kim and Casey had been best friends since junior high. They had practically everything in common, except their appearance. Kim was five foot eight and had dark curly hair. Her mom was Irish and her dad was Italian. There was only one condition, which was actually a given. Kim didn't go anywhere without her boyfriend, Danny. They'd been together since their freshman year and had become a permanent fixture of her and Casey's friendship, turning the pair into a trio. Danny was a jokester, but was much smarter than he came across. He was in the top 10 in their graduating class. 
He was also intimidatingly built, with a large natural athletic physique. Most people were surprised to find out that he was a science nerd and not an athlete. The day after graduation, they packed their outdoor gear into the back of Casey's Subaru Trek and took the five and a half hour drive from Austin to Odessa. Once they were there, they rented an RV in one of the parks just outside of town. Casey hadn't taken into consideration the fact that the park was full of roughnecks, who spent months away from home, and even though they weren't necessarily bad people, many of them were lonely and spent their off time consuming more alcohol than seemed possible. Odessa is in the Permian Basin, a large oil and gas producing area in West Texas, close to New Mexico. So a large number of the population were workers from all over the country that worked in the oil fields. Their RV was parked at the edge of the camp near the exit, so they didn't have to deal with the regulars too much. You guys can have the bed in the back, Casey offered. I'll sleep out here. I wouldn't want to walk in on something that could scar me for life. Well, thanks, head case, Danny said with exaggerated gratitude, using the name that he called her as a joke that had gradually stuck. Casey swung at him playfully, punching him in the shoulder. I told you not to call me that. Well, he's not totally wrong, Kim laughed. It was your idea to come here in search of a mysterious, possibly non-existent national park that may or may not be able to eat us. Casey arched her brow at Kim. If I remember correctly, you two were just as excited about it as me. They finished unpacking and decided to go to the store for hot dogs and hamburgers to throw on the grill. It was late evening by the time they got the grill going, and after dark by the time they ate. The RV had a string of lights hanging over the little makeshift dining area, where they sat until almost midnight making plans for the next day. They were going to explore the local hiking trails around Odessa first to get a feel of the area. Casey hoped that they would run into hikers that they could ask questions about the location. That first day was a bust. They didn't see even one other hiker. And even though it was a beautiful day and the hike was nice, they didn't find any sign of the national park. The park was said to be fenced off and the exact location was undisclosed. So their only hope was to keep exploring until they possibly got lucky enough to find it. Day two went by the same as day one, but on day three, they caught a break. They were hiking the Comanche Trail West Park and still had yet to see another hiker when Danny noticed an old road that was hidden by new growth of weeds and low-hanging tree limbs. Hey, check this out. He beckoned to the girls. We should follow it. I don't see any no trespassing signs. Casey and Kim looked at each other, and Casey shrugged. Why not? We aren't going to find a hidden mystery park without going off the grid anyways. Danny had already began pushing through the limbs and heading down the trail. Kim and Casey quickly followed. They had walked at least a mile following the old trail until it came out into a clearing. In the clearing was a tall eight-foot fence with barbed wire swirled along the top that ran as far as they could see north and south of the clearing. There was a sign hanging on the fence that read, Keep Out. 
They had to decide which direction to walk the length of the fence in, in hope of finding an entrance. Casey pulled a bandana out of her backpack and began tying it to the metal fence. This will mark our starting point, so no matter which direction we go in, we'll know when we're back where we started, she explained. Good idea, Headcase, Danny laughed. Kim punched him in the arm. You know she hates it when you call her that. It was meant as a compliment. She's always the responsible one out of the three of us, he said, earning another punch in the arm from Kim for the inadvertent insult to her. Casey ignored them both and headed north along the line of the fence. Kim and Danny halted their arguing and followed her. They had walked for about 30 minutes when they began seeing abandoned construction equipment. The warning signs to keep out began to appear every 50 feet or so along with danger signs. After another 10 minutes, they came upon a large double gate that was chained heavily from top to bottom and locked in several different places from the inside. There was a large sign that read, No Trespassing, property of the Anodyne Corporation. Violators will be prosecuted. Casey thought to herself that it was strange that the locks were not on the outside, but she brushed the thought aside without sharing it with Kim and Danny. This is it, Casey said excitedly. I knew it was real. I could just feel it. She had dropped her backpack to the ground and had dug out a pair of wire cutters. Are you sure about this, Casey? We could get arrested for trespassing. Kim stated her fears, even though she knew the answer since this is what they had all expected if they had actually found the place. Casey paused long enough to smile at Kim. Where's your sense of adventure? You only live once. Let's do this. She began trying to clip a section of fence next to the gate, but her wire cutters weren't hefty enough for the heavy-duty wiring. Dang it! I should have brought the bigger ones, she grumbled when they met with resistance. The fence was tougher than she had expected. Why don't we just climb over? Danny suggested. He began climbing without waiting for a reply. Casey and Kim watched, skeptical yet hopeful. And sure enough, he made it over, without a scratch from the barbed wire lining the top. He peeked through the gate at Kim and Casey. Wait right there. I think I may have found something. He disappeared and came back a few moments later. They could hear him rattling the chains on the other side of the gate, and then suddenly the chains fell to the ground and the gate swung open. How'd you do that? Casey asked Danny as he stepped around the gate. There's a whole box of keys hanging on the other side of the gate, he said with a shrug. Once Casey stepped through the gates, she felt like she was stepping into a Jurassic Park movie, except with a dry desert type setting. There was a huge parking lot with a couple of abandoned cars. On the other side of the parking area was what looked like a large hotel. And to the left of that was a giant sign that read in huge letters, Mystery Flesh Pit National Park. There was a huge four-story building on the other side of the park entrance that was labeled Science and Research over the main entrance. There were various other buildings too storage buildings, a warehouse, and a maintenance garage. Every building was surrounded by the remnants of landscaping that had now been overgrown or replaced completely by weeds. 
It was an eerie sight. It looked like a ghost town, but as a breeze cooled the air, a chill covered Casey's skin. It was almost as if you could hear the place breathing. She got the sense that the place was just sleeping, waiting for someone to wake it up. Where should we start? Kim's question startled her from her thoughts. Maybe we should check out the science and research building before heading into the park. It might give us more of an idea of what we're going to be dealing with, Casey answered. With that said, Casey began to head across the parking lot. There were cracks in the concrete with weeds growing out, and she overstepped them along the way. It made her think of the old rhyme from her childhood, step on the crack, break your mother's back. It was a strange thought to have at a time like this. The entrance to the science and research building was solid glass. There were two sets of double doors on each side. Both sets were so covered with dirt and muck that you couldn't see inside. Casey kicked away the garbage that had blown and piled against the doors and tried the handle to see if it was locked. And shockingly, it wasn't. The door was hesitant to swing open on its rusty old hinges, but it gave way with a groan sending a cloud of dust into the air, causing Kim to have a coughing fit. Casey waited for her to retrieve her inhaler, and once she was breathing easy again, they entered the building. Casey first, then Kim, followed by Danny. The inside was not quite as dusty as the outside, but it was dated, filthy, and covered in cobwebs. The front desk, where the receptionist would have been, held an old rotary phone and a switchboard along with an old typewriter, clearly made in the 70s. The desk was of little interest, so they made their way past it and down a long hallway lined with office doors and research labs. Casey picked the first lab door, deciding that starting at the beginning was probably the best plan of action. She was surprised that again the door was unlocked and gave way with little effort. Inside the room looked like you might imagine any lab, with metal tables and microscopes. There were computers on every table, the really old kind that you could only see in the movies or a museum nowadays. Along the walls were shelves, many full of binders and books, but one wall had shelves filled with jars full of liquids. Casey pulled a small flashlight from her pocket and moved closer. The jars were all covered with years' worth of dust buildup. She bent closer and wiped some dust off of one of the jars and shined the light inside. She nearly knocked Kim over when she jumped back. What's wrong? What is it? Kim asked. I don't know, Casey answered. But whatever it is, or whatever it used to be, it's hideous. Kim and Danny both stooped down to get a look. Gross, Danny said. I wouldn't want to run into that in the dark. Inside the gallon-sized jar was a fleshy creature with four appendages that looked like legs, but had webbed, clawed feet. It didn't seem to have any eyes, but it did have a long snout with a mouthful of jagged teeth. You could see every vein beneath its thin skin. It looked like a cross between an eel and a weasel. I wonder if there are more of these things down in the pit. It's creepy as hell thinking about what we might run into. But that's half of the excitement, too, Danny said in awe. They continued their search of the lab, looking through drawers and binders, hoping to find a map of the park, 
but failed. The next two labs were equally disappointing, but they did manage to find a few things that may be helpful, such as a brochure on wildlife safety within the pit, and another flyer titled Journey Below that explained spasm fits and outlined what you may find while exploring the pit. They had searched every lab and were on the last office when Kim was digging through a desk drawer and suddenly blurted out excitedly, I found it! She rushed over to Casey and showed her a folded map like the ones you would get when you entered Disney World or any other theme park. It was complete with pictures of each location. With the Science and Research Building thoroughly searched and the map in hand, they headed out of the building and towards the entrance to the park that they had seen earlier. The large metal sign hung from the archway over the entrance, squeaking as a gust of wind hit it and made it sway. The wind blew Casey's hair away from her face and then changed direction suddenly, as if it was trying to suck her in. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters, murder, mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. What if an oil company accidentally unearthed an underground organism of unfathomable size right here in the United States? What if this organism was an opening in the earth made out of flesh, opening through the earth's epidermis, dermis, hydrodermis, and more. Would there be widespread panic at this grossly horrifying discovery? It would definitely be a great plot for a sci-fi horror movie, but it's actually just internet folklore, or at least that's what we're being told. Let's begin this weird story at the beginning. The Mystery Flesh Pit is the name given to a bizarre natural geobiological feature discovered in the Permian Basin region of West Texas in the early 1970s. The pit is characterized as an enormous subterranean organism of indeterminate size and origin embedded deep within the earth, displaying a vast array of highly unusual and often disturbing phenomena within its vast internal anatomy. Following its initial discovery and subsequent survey exploration missions, the surface orifice of the mystery flesh pit was enlarged, and internal sections were slowly reinforced and developed by the Anodyne Deep Earth Mining Corporation, 
who opened the pit as a tourist attraction in 1976. In the early 1980s, the site was absorbed into the National Park System, which operated and maintained the Mystery Flesh Pit until its sudden closure in 2007. But that's not the facts, that's the fiction. This is the real story as far as anyone knows. Mystery Flesh Pit National Park began as a much-loved exercise on world-building. This is a process of constructing a world, originally an imaginary one, sometimes associated with a fictional universe. The brainchild of Redditor Strange Vehicles, aka designer, illustrator, and writer Trevor Roberts. Since then, it has changed into a collection of made-up NPS, displaying the horrific attraction. Roberts was able to tell his story through a number of posters, flyers, and brochures that looked like they would be standard of any national park. In his park overview brochure, he sets the scene in the Permian Basin Desert of West Texas. Beyond the usual surroundings of rugged brush and broad plains is a getaway into another world, the brochure reads. He goes on to describe the pit as being absent of sunlight, away from still ground, Away from the comfort of the surface world lies the sublime wonder and terror of the mystery flesh pit. He claims in the brochure that the first oil workers who entered the pit had no idea what to expect as they slid, crawled, and were swallowed down into the darkness. Below this opening about the journey below is a diagram of the pit's anatomy. Roberts adds a word of safety section to the brochure which states that for obvious reasons, the Mystery Flesh Pit is unlike any other park within the National Park System. It's an incomprehensibly vast and ancient organism whose origin and purpose is unknown to modern science and a thing which inspires a deep and primal and instinctual gut fear in the hearts of all men who gaze into it. I can only imagine how terrifying it would be to gaze down into the mouth of a giant creature that is large enough to digest a semi hauling a heavy load. A creature so large that many other life forms, some as large as a city bus, inhabit its insides. Speaking of digesting, one of the warnings says to stay on marked trails. Beyond trails are steep and slippery drop-offs where you could fall and injure yourself, and you could get lost and become digested within unreinforced organs. Nope. Then there are the creature warnings, encounters with macrobacteria and abyssal copiapods have been lethal for visitors who have strayed far from marked trails. Not to mention the pit itself is said to be known to leach moisture from humans. So be sure to drink plenty of water if you don't want to die of dehydration from a moisture-sucking vampiric fleshy pit. Then we move on to the spasm fits. On occasion, the brochure says, Lucky Park visitors may observe a natural phenomenon as fascinating as the flesh pit itself. In what scientists think to be an immune response to continued dilation, the pit entry orifice begins to violently close and spasm against retaining braces. Sounds like a swallow reflex to me. The impressive, not my word, I would say terrifying, display of vigor, which may last as long as 20 minutes, often features otherworldly tectonic carnal moans from deep within the mystery flesh pit, which can be heard for miles in all directions. 
that is definitely a hard note for me. The brochure features several tour options while visiting the Mystery Flesh Pit, including the Bowels of Earth route, the Guts and Giddy Up tour, and last but not least, the Swallowed Hole tour. There are other park activities listed on the brochure as well, such as a gondola ride through the pit, and an IMAX theater experience that the brochure claims offers a 45-minute immersive and educational film. One of the creepiest things on the list is said to be located on the ground floor of the visitor center by the vending machines. Here you can find the amniotic baths. It says that amniotic secretions are pumped through the glands deep within the pit for visitors who are unable to descend into the pit. They're said to have positive effects on human psychology, physiology, and well-being, and are enjoyed both medicinally and recreationally. If I was interested in soaking in the amniotic fluid of a giant fleshy monster, I would definitely need some medicinal aid, and hopefully someone to talk me out of it. The last thing on the brochure is dining and lodging options. If you have an appetite after your tour of the Mystery Flesh Pit, you can catch lunch or dinner at the Hard Rock Cafe or get a taste of the Southwest at Chili's. In a way that is comical yet horrifying through art and writing, Trevor Roberts has created a truly fascinating and horrifying world that exceeds the imaginations of many. Roberts told Snopes, I'm surprised that some people believe it's real, as that was never the intention. I do try my best to mimic the style of real National Park System brochures and materials through layout, typeface selection, color choices, and general wording. But I had imagined that the absurdity of the basic concept would be enough for someone to see that it was all an art project. How did claims about Mystery Flesh Pit National Park spread online if Roberts never declared that it existed? Evidently, false material on Facebook and TikTok contributed to the misunderstanding and interest in the park. According to rumors, Odessa, Texas's Mystery Flesh Pit National Park existed as a real place in the 1970s. According to a widely shared Facebook post, the park was shut down in 2007 as a result of a major disaster with 750 fatalities. The absurdity of these stories, as Roberts remarked, ought to be sufficient to convince people that the park is a work of fiction. However, it's simple to understand why the idea fascinates audiences so much. On Robert's website, a variety of excellent artwork depicting Mystery Flesh Pit National Park is available, allowing curious readers to learn more and more about the made-up world. Even a tourism flyer from Mystery Flesh Pit National Park is available. Mystery Flesh Pit is an ongoing multimedia narrative project, and its story is being told through advertisements, posters, and flyers that revamped the disturbing life form as a park, a place for families to have a good time. One poster offers for visitors to discover verdant forests, majestic scenery, and cosmic terror, including trout fishing, geotectonic carnal moans, broken philosophy, and backcountry hiking and camping. It sounds like a hodgepodge of terror and multiple excruciating ways to die if you ask me, but hey, what do I know? I usually write about monsters that can hunt or chase you, not the kind that you voluntarily climb right into their mouths to be digested as a fun recreational activity. 
This is the future of folklore. It has evolved so that stories can spread around the world in a matter of minutes. Who knows? A hundred years from now, the Mystery Flesh Pit may have books written about it and movies made. Our grandchildren and great-grandchildren may not know how it all really started. And one last spooky question. I'm not much on conspiracy theories, but what if it was real all along? And all the claims that it was just some story made up on the internet is the real fiction. There was a set of stairs that led down from the ground level to the opening of the pit. As they began to descend, Casey could have swore that she saw quivering in the area around her. It was as if where the soil ended and the pit began, she could feel the life flowing through it. The stairs led all the way down to where the opening began, past the pink fleshy surface to the dark abyss of the entryway. Inside, the lights had long been extinguished, and the breeze flowing from the pit was cool, but moist, like the air from a set of living lungs. They had each packed headlamps in their backpacks and had already placed them on their heads, ready to face the darkness. The stairs descended first past the fleshy pink opening of the pit into an area labeled on the map as Level 1. According to the map, the first two levels were maintenance areas. The first level was a small, narrow area, not much wider than the staircase itself. The second level opened up wider and had several doors with rooms full of tools and equipment. As they descended into the third level, they saw a sign that was placed on the wall directly across from the stairs. The sign read, Executive Offices, Conference Rooms, and Anodyne Reception, with arrows pointing the direction to each location. This level was the darkest so far, with every hint of the sunlight up above on the surface completely snuffed out. Casey led them down the hall, looking into each office as she went. It seemed to be nothing but what you would expect. As they passed the conference room, she noticed that there were coffee mugs sitting on the tables, and a couple of the chairs had jackets hanging on the back of them. It was as if a meeting had been suddenly interrupted. After the conference room, the hallway opened up to the anodyne reception area, where there were seats for waiting with a large round desk right at the center of the room. As they walked past the desk, something scurried from behind it and crossed the floor in front of them. Casey jumped and Kim let out a startled yelp. Was that a rat? She asked with obvious disgust in her voice. I hope not, those things give me the heebie-jeebies. On the other side of the desk, they found the next set of stairs that descended further down to the next level. On this level was the location of the gondola station, where you could ride through the pit on a river of amniotic fluid. But the gondolas were cracked and busted. The wood had rotted from years of unuse. They continued down to the next set of stairs, but stopped suddenly when they heard a loud echoing moan. It felt like it was coming from the walls. Casey thought, as she could see them closing in and then expanding, but she was sure it must be her imagination. As they descended the stairs again, they found themselves in the museum area, where there were exhibits with diagrams of the pit's structure and explanations of every detail of the pit, from its discovery to the building of the park in and around it. 
After looking over the diagrams, they moved on to the next exhibit, which was several pictures depicting the creatures that had been discovered there. A sign was positioned on a pedestal in front of the exhibit that read Park Wildlife. There were four different types of life forms exhibited. The first was fungal growth, that the sign explained grew in colonies and were potentially dangerous because they were believed to have toxic spores. Another was compound surface fauna and were called abyssal copiapods and were believed to venture outside the pit where they would pull surface animals such as deer, livestock, coyotes, and rabbits into the mystery flesh pit where they would undergo some type of mutation. A note at the bottom hinted that humans may also be among the surface creatures pulled into the mystery flesh pit by these copiapods and that if you encounter one, you should contact a ranger. As Casey read the signs on each of the exhibits, she grew more nervous. She had known that encountering creatures was a possibility, but it seemed much more real now that she was here. While she was reading the last exhibit about the abyssal copiapods, she heard Danny and Kim discussing something from across the room. She looked around until she located their lights. They were examining the walls by the next set of stairs. It seemed to be covered in something. Walking over to them, she saw what had fascinated them. It looked like a thick coat of pink fleshy hair had covered the wall. Danny was running his hand across it, and as he did, every tendril followed his movement, reaching out to his hand. Casey was about to warn him to back away when the pink tendrils closest to his hand extended and reached out, wrapping around his hand. He started to laugh as it seemed to tickle, but his laugh turned into a panicked cry as he began to be pulled towards the wall. He struggled as more of the fleshy fibers extended and wrapped around his upper arm and then his neck. Kim and Casey grabbed his shoulders and began pulling him back, but the pull of the organism that had entrapped him was too strong for them. Danny began to scream as he was quickly becoming completely wrapped into a pink fleshy cocoon. Kim was screaming his name over and over, trying to figure out how to free him when a sort of steam began to escape from the pink mess. It smelled acidic and caused a burning sensation in their throats when they breathed it in. Casey began to cough and pulled away for a moment as Kim fought harder to free Danny. She was trying to catch her breath when Kim began screaming even louder. Casey looked up and the light from her lamp caught the horrifying sight as the fleshy wall began to digest Danny from inside the cocoon. She could see his face dissolving as his bones collapsed beneath the surface, as if he was made of butter. Kim had fallen to the floor sobbing and was looking down at her hands. Casey reached down to pull her up, and that's when she noticed that the skin on Kim's hands was burning. Not just burnt, but still in the process of burning. The skin seemed to be slowly melting away one layer at a time. Casey yanked her backpack off and slung it to the ground. She pulled out a bottle of water and quickly poured it over Kim's hands. Kim had gone quiet. She seemed to be in shock. We have to get out of here, Kimmy, Casey said as she rubbed Kim's cheek. 
Casey dug in her bag until she found another bandana. She ripped it in half and wrapped each piece around Kim's injured hands. She was pulling Kim to her feet when she began to hear movement from the stairwell that led down to the next level. Something was coming up those stairs. She grabbed Kim and shoved her towards the stairway they had came down from, but Kim began to scream for Danny. We can't leave him! She cried. Kimmy, he's gone, and if we don't get out of here, we may be next. Go! She ordered as she shoved Kim up the stairs. They began to climb the stairs as fast as they could, but were only halfway up when they heard the sound getting closer. It sounded like a crowd, or a herd, of something, approaching in a heated rush. As they reached the top of the stairs, Kim turned to look back just in time to see dozens of creatures of various sizes crawling up the stairs. Some of them were crawling on the walls. Many of them resembled the creature in the jar, but some of them were larger and more grotesque. As they began to pour into the stairwell, Casey saw several that looked almost human. And she wondered, as the creatures surrounded them, were they looking for captives to turn? Or were they hungry? Thank you for listening to Freaky Folklore, the podcast about mankind's horrifying legends and myths. Don't forget to follow Freaky Folklore on Spotify and iTunes. If you can, leave the show an honest review on iTunes to help us grow. Freaky Folklore is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network, the home for listeners who love to feel scared. Go to EerieCast.com to find other terrifying podcasts, such as Destination Terror and Redwood Bureau. If you'd like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram for information on future episodes. If you hate cliffhangers, stay tuned. We are currently working on several episodes that may tie up loose ends to the stories that feel unfinished. If you have an episode that you think needs a part two with a better ending, send me an email to let me know. And tune in next week as we discuss the Sul Kalu, a legendary figure in Cherokee folklore, also known as the Cherokee Devil. Until next time, stay safe out there, because this world is a strange one. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.